Uh, coming with the freestyle. Uh, nah, I'm <laughs> What's up, everybody? It's Thursday noon, WHBK. It is Ergo Radio. I'm Kiss. I'm Damon. It's, uh, it's very good to be here. Uh, if you don't know what we do, uh, we do the same thing pretty much every week. And uh, we showcase strong young voices from Chicago and beyond each week. Another live, long-form conversation with an artist, writer, organizer, creator, thinker, person reshaping the culture of our city and our country for the more equitable and the more creative. And we do it every week right here on WHPK 88.5 in Hyde Park, Chicago. How are you feeling? Is this, a, this is a new haircut? It is a new haircut. It's not that different from the old haircut. Okay. Um, it's like more current haircut. Shout out to Yoel's Barbershop on Fullerton, just east of California. They do a fantastic job. And they also have, they have one White Sox jersey and one Cubs jersey on the wall. So they're covering all their bases. But both of the players that the jerseys are from are Puerto Rican. So you word, know where they stand. Word, word. Um, getting the shout outs in early. <laughs> you, got, uh, you got anything I in do. the spirit hold on, hold you want to shout me, out? Me, uh, this, let's let's uh, go ahead and transition into community announcements. Let me look at the thing community that I'm, I'm on a thing, y'all. You're on uh, a thing? Yeah, hold on. <laughs> My bad. Uh... What's what's happening? All you right, know I what? got someone. Go ahead. Talking. Go ahead. So first, I it, see what happened. Ah, right. tech problems. Ah, uh, uh, first and foremost, <laughs> tonight at Fifty Seven Street Books, right around the corner. I don't know if you know this, Damon, but your sister is reading. Ah, I didn't know that. That's what's up with Tara Betts at Fifty Seven Street Books uh, this evening. That's Thursday night. Uh, she's reading from Octagon, I believe. Uh, so go check that out. On Saturday, Surge, showing up for racial justice, has an organizing 101 training. Uh, it's somewhere in the loop, right off the Clark and Lake train stop. Um, you have to RSVP for that through their Facebook page on the Eventbrite. That sounds very daunting. It's very doable. Show up, find out how to get uh, plugged in. <laughs> an, an Eventbrite from a Facebook page, too much to ask. You feel like you could really it's use rough. the organizing 101 training, it's so you rough. better figure it out. <laughs> um, and then lastly, Saturday night, um, Ricky Gamboa, Ergo alum, has uh, the next edition of Hoodwazee. I went to the first two. It's a like live news show and podcast. Um, they're doing every month in a different gentrifying neighborhood. So this is the last one in Humboldt Park. Uh, okay. It's fantastic. It's He's really on to something. It's one of the best Shout shows out I've ever seen. I was on the first one, and I think I'm going to be on the one after this that's coming up. So definitely like... Pay attention to that. Follow Ricky with his crazy, long, incredible posts on Facebook. But definitely make sure you come through this Saturday. It's free. It's at the Urban Theater Company. Um, Ergo alum Xavier Ramey is one of the people talking uh, at that. And so if you aren't tired of bad jokes from this, make sure you go to that. Um, but yeah, I just want to take a second to be like, that is one of the most exciting things and exciting rooms I've been in in a long time. So definitely make sure you go and support um, those that's all i, I got, I got the got? thing that i'm gonna be on uh yeah man so there's gonna be a panel conversation uh a la black history month on the 28th get it in you know last day before before the assignment is <laughs> technically late <laughs> they're taking points off uh it's uh with, with actually twitter chicago uh the event is called for the culture uh black birds which is like i guess the black twitter Entity of Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, moderated by D. Sicamella. I hope I uh, said her name right. And on the panel, it's going to be myself, Malcolm London, and Joe Freshgood. So oh, that is hilarious. that's going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah. we're going to check that out. That yeah. is, hmm, you know, you got to RSVP at for the culture shy dot splash that dot com. Oh wow, I hope y'all do that because I, I probably would struggle get that done. <laughs> uh, and it does. I don't have the address right now, but it's the twenty eighth. Are you going to retweet it on the Ergo Radio Twitter? For sure, yeah. It seems like let's, the best. Let's way do, do it. Can, let's do you it. Can check it out there. You're gonna have to start tweeting again in general if you want to be on Black Twitter panels. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me what I can and what I can't do. <laughs> it's working in my favor. <laughs> so we have a very special guest here today on Ergo. Um, I'm really excited to have her here. It's been a long time coming. Um, she is a thinker and a creator and a fantastic person and friend. Uh, Ellen Mayer is here. How you feeling? Shout out, Ellen. Hey, Come what's on, going on? Shout out to the hat off top. Yeah, this hat is all my... about the visuals here. I'm loving uh... Daniel's haircut. <laughs> I'm loving it's... your hat on the radio. I'm trying to like make this my signature look. You mm-hmm. know, I've never had a, a good signature before. Uh, so trying it out. You know Hashtag what? Ellen with the hat. First step. First step to signature looks profile pics. 
go right. go right. go full go multi platform yeah. all hat. We actually just took several potential profile pictures with my fancy camera in the uh, in the library here that could kind of start this movement, build this grassroots movement to of, make of a signature look of a signature look. It's true. Just double checking. Is this mic on? Is it not coming through? Yeah. Right, so, yeah, we oh, just keep okay. them low. Yeah, you're good. All right. you're good. Okay, cool. Um, just come real close to it and we'll okay. keep them real low because otherwise <laughs> the WHPK station signal starts buzzing. Oh, great. Um, so first and foremost, thank you for letting me borrow your car yesterday. You're welcome. That was very helpful. Daniel um, borrows my car a lot. I do. So it's almost like we share it at this point. Except I don't make any payments or pay any insurance on it. Right. Um, <laughs> or, or worry about parking it. So thank you for letting me do that. Um, and, you know, I, I do think it's kind of, when we were walking in the station together this morning, or a little bit after, it's very funny. So the first time I ever talked on this radio station was ever in here. I was actually on your show. That's uh, right. Way back in the day. Many, 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 many months ago. It wasn't yes. that long ago. What was your show called? And then we'll uh, get into all the other stuff. All right. It was called Blurred Lines. It was about uh, how... Copyright infringement. Yeah, I know. It's uh. it's a very problematic name, but that's part of... <laughs> that's the point. It's like, that's the point. Because it's about how genres are really effed up and often, like, basically racial redlining or other bad problematic things. And this uh, sounds how I wanted to blow it up. This sounds kind of like erasing boundaries. It sounds like... Doesn't have, it? Or also another radio station, my Pandora station, the white man created genre, which is... <laughs> A station that tries to break genre. I think, I think we're all kindred spirits yeah. here. This is wonderful. <laughs> it started with Nina Simone, and I went everywhere from there. I love White that. They, I, I recommend I it. I love that. You are a Pandora devotee. Oh. Oh, if we had the time. That's I, incredible. We have the time. You want to give a little Pandora? No, not a corporate shout out. They can sponsor if they want to sponsor. No, nah, I, just, I just really like, one, I think we're really arrogant if we think we know all the music we want to listen to. So something that like tracks what you like to find things for you is really dope. So I've learned a lot about music, especially outside of hip hop, from like being really, really rigorous on saying what I do and don't like and adding suggestions and making hella stations and then shuffling them all together. And now I have this whole like index and Rolodex of songs I want to sample and the, the the trajectory between rock and roll and jazz and blues and hip hop. It's, it's yes. Pandora's the shit. I love man. that. Rock all with right. Pandora. All right. The, so, more, the more you know. So should we tell the people, do they know about your college radio show? We have we haven't really talked about it much up here. It gets whispered. It gets whispered. So, <laughs> so should I tell them how we met? Yeah, okay, this is fantastic. So Daniel and I met at the Logan Square Farmer's Market. Come through, get those vegetables. He was selling vegetables. I was buying vegetables. Sunday from 10 to 3, Geneva Lakes Produce. We got the best, the best Sweet corn in the summer, the best cantaloupes, <laughs> the best melons. We got potatoes, tomatoes. We actually do have greens, all of these things. It's fantastic. We have a, we have a, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in right there. We have another internal joke here in the Ergo family that Daniel Kislinger is the face of gentrification. <laughs> there's a difference, be, there's a difference between working the farmer's market. Yes, yes. Though I do go to the farm. We can talk about no, that as is, well. This is pl- in jest. Yeah. Well, so just to keep keep this whole in-joke going here, I was at the Logan Square Farmer's Market carrying a public radio tote bag. All right. Squad. So total stereotype. I walk up to Daniel to buy my green beans and Daniel's like... I was, it was a WNYC tote bag, which is a public radio station in New York. Daniel's like, you I love that out. station. Be still my heart. I used to work there. I said, no way. I used to work there. You have it backwards, but that's fine. You said, I said, nice bag. You said, I used to work there. I said, oh, me too. All this right. is important. All right. I want to get the facts Okay, right. okay. <laughs> this is, we're documenting the past <laughs> history. Long story short, we, we start talking about our interests and what we're doing in Chicago, and we realize that we are pretty much the same person, and we pretty much had the same radio show, because Daniel's radio show back at Grinnell, called Erasing Boundaries, mm-hmm. basically was the same thing as Blurred Lines. Very similar. With more similar. interviews, but same yeah. idea, same idea behind it. And then there's like... We're both in New York. There's like 7,000 other things where we've just been living like parallel lives. And finally they crossed. And so that was, you were like my first, uh, first new friend in Chicago. Um, so shouts to you. I love that. Um, uh, the other thing that I think before we get into like the nitty gritty of what you do, uh, that we also need to make sure we trace, you know, for, for posterity's sake, is I think the first conversation that we had up here when it was still your show was the first time that we had really dug into our respective stances on Drake. 
Um, yes. Oh, oh. <laughs> this is I an have, important part of our I friendship. I've waking up. So <laughs> where, where are we going with this? So this is actually really. We were talking yesterday. It would. I would love to see transcripts through the last few years of the different conversations we've had because it comes up. Because he's also every, become a different person. Right. Right. We're all. We all can learn. We all can grow. We're all evolving. We're all. I don't know, but he's devolving. Exactly. Um, do you remember anything about that first conversation? Who was the yeah. Oh, I remember. I remember very well. Because I don't. I played. Uh, oh shoot, I can't remember what song I played, but it was um not off the album before Views. Does this take uh, nothing was the same. Yeah. Ah, uh, this is when. This I like is, yeah. This is when it started to go though. Um, and or maybe it was the album before that. Take I'm, care. Take care. I can vouch for. No. Yeah. Take care is the good one. That's that's <laughs> clear. That's clear. But I was playing. Um, oh, maybe, no, that's what it was. It was a SoundCloud cut. I, I just really liked SoundCloud Drake and almost no other Drake. But mm. it was, so mm. I played th- mm. this song and Daniel was like, you know, you talked about your brother and how your brother says that like, no matter what Drake makes, it's always still, just like, it's still, still just, just Drake. Drake. He's just Drake. Yeah. Like, and we can't say anything. And yeah. you can't get into it. And yeah. I was kind of like, but Zero to 100 is a great song, you know? So I was in opposition at that time. And I was, I was for the first time in my life, kind of pro. I was kind of like, I'm starting to feel Drake. There's some bars here. I'm really into it. And basically, from that point forward, it's been downhill. I, yeah. have, I have no patience for him. I'm tired of his whining. Tired of the way he talks to every about women like good girls all the time. Makes me crazy. Want to barf? All right. And all right. Uh, right. Daniel's just totally switched. Okay. So wait, what? This is interesting. What what just happened? So all of the critiques that you just made, I, I value and recognize as well. I just think he's really good at making pop songs. That I, they're not all good songs, but I like listening to them. I think pop music is violence, so I don't think that that is a good credit. Well, okay. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Uh, I think we haven't really talked about pop this. music. The definite. So if you so. Let's compare it if we want to call it a genre, uh, which we said that the white man created. <laughs> but if we want to call it a genre, let's compare it to rock and roll. Right? There are there are like there's a lineage of sound that that you could track. Like this is '80s rock, this, right? Hip hop, blues, jazz, all the same. Pop music has no sound, right? Mm. Right? No, it's the commodification. What, what it is is appropriation, mm. right? It is appropriating what has been on the margins, what is on the fringe, what is the dangerous, and making it sellable mm-hmm. to a safe white consumer base to me no i understand yeah and that is the taking of resources for profit that is deprivation that is violence and he actually is a, like amazing example of that because that's what he continues yeah no I, I i agree yeah i agree so, so the selling of of uh the drug war culture of west indian caribbean culture to the taylor swift fan is violence mm. so, so being have- really good at that when you are disconnected from the cultures you are profiting on is like music, colonial music. Uh, and I don't think he should be awarded or applauded for what he is doing because he is disconnected from the culture that he is mm-hmm. profiting from. Yeah, no, I think that's all valid. All right. Yeah. No, that's, so there we go. There we go. It happened. Close yeah. the book. <laughs> that's a conversation that has, speaking of whispered conversations, <laughs> we've had that several times. Um, yeah, In case I don't, you don't know where we stand. <laughs> <laughs> Again, for posterity, let the records show. I'm the, having fun today. Y'all having fun? Yeah, I'm having fun. What's that up, was, Erica? That when Drake comes out as a pro-Trump <laughs> fucking, yeah. you know, now we'll know where we made our stance yeah, early. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> um, But I want to I wanna get into what you do, and I want to do it kind of no, through. He's a Hillary Clinton, right? Like he like, oh, he is the, the, he's like the Hillary Clinton of music. A, <laughs> he, that's she dresses better than him, though. He wore a crew neck with her face on it. <laughs> Get <laughs> Is that true? Yeah, like to like courtside of a, of a Raptors oh, game. Oh my god! So funny. Yeah. Also, is he? Can, you think he can vote here? Is he? Is he, Drake a citizen? That is a question for the people. Oh man! Damon's looking at me the like Googles? I know. I, I got no idea. <laughs> you didn't do this you research? Know? Sorry. Has Drake man, been naturalized? Really <laughs> this is, and could they revoke his green card? Right, because he like dry, he rides around with like you know weed at least all the time, so he could get in some trouble if he's not. This is interesting. Or even if he is, 
the plot the plot the plot thickens. thickens. And what is what does Donald Trump have to say about Drake and Canadians overall? He I, he might get brought to the front line of the struggle. I now, guarantee I that there it. is a tweet somewhere in Donald Trump's Twitter about Drake. It's got to be. He's had one about like every Taylor Twilight, Swift, Twilight, yeah. oh, all yeah. these people. There's one from 2013 I saw recently, which is uh, should I change my hair? Yes or no. <laughs> That is a real tweet from 2013 that he made. <laughs> That's a le- like. He also clearly doesn't know you can delete tweets. What? Yeah, but like, is what if he was self aware this whole time? What if he's not? What if this is all like part of the show? Oh God! Well, let's actually. Right. This takes us in the direction that I want to go. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't want to answer to that in, question. In, <laughs> let's move past that. In addition to you being like a great friend, you also are someone who has many, many. Great ideas. And as we're thinking about um, how do we help folks tell their own stories and how do we make sure that uh, people have the information they need through media and tools and journalism, this is the the centerpiece of what you spend your days doing. So rather than me describing it, can you give a little rundown of like what Harkin is, what you do there, and uh, yeah, the framework for it. Yeah, I got to say off the bat that uh, it usually takes me a really long time to explain my job at parties. So I'm going to try and do this quickly. Well, Bear luckily with there's me. no music yeah. in the background. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I work for a company that grew out of WBZ, which is the public radio station here in Chicago. And the idea behind what we do is that... Um, in order to actually truly serve the public, because we came out of public radio, um, you have to, as a journalist, actually listen to them and, you know, <laughs> no. listen to what their needs are. Um, and we built a, mo- a new editorial model for journalism that's founded around audience questions. So instead of the journalists and the editors saying, we know what's newsworthy, we set the news agenda, and we come up with the pitch and we assign the stories, you turn that around and say, okay, we're going to let the audience come up with the pitch by sending us their questions. And then we're going to let the audience assign the story by voting on the question they find the most interesting. And the question that gets the most votes, that's the one that that is then assigned to a reporter to go out and report often with some input from the person who asked the question. Um, We built this model... Because, you know, for a variety of reasons, and I say we, but I really mean my boss, Jen, who... uh, Shout out to Jen. Yeah, shout out to Jen Brandel. She started a radio show at WBZ with this model and then started our company, Harkin, to take this model to as many newsrooms as possible. And the idea was, you know, if you just come and we see this problem around the internet when you try to do any kind of crowdsourcing or, you know, comment sections, things like that, it can get really ugly really fast. You can get obviously a lot of hate speech, but you can also just get a lot of people who are like, this is what I believe. And somebody else over here being like, well, this is what I believe. And there's no way to actually have a real dialogue. And no one's asking any questions. Right. But if you ask people, instead of having them send you a pitch or having them say to you, here's what I think you should be covering, you say, What's your question? What are you curious about? That comes from a really neutral mm. place mm. Um, and, and honestly a humble place instead of saying, I know right. what I know. And the world needs to know it too. Right, no, exactly. No, this, that's mad, like, fucking important. Like, I, I don't know. I'm thinking of, uh, not to be this guy, but I'm thinking of Paolo Freire and, like, the whole, like, problem-posing education as opposed to, like, what do you call it? Depositing? Yeah. Uh, no, that's like super important. What I'm curious, what is like the infrastructure on how you take in the questions and then and then they vote? So they they propose questions and then y'all curate the questions mm-hmm. and then there's a voting process. Yeah. What is what does the voting look like? What's the like? Yeah. Platform? So that's a great question. The answer is the majority of this stuff happens online. We built a software tool set that allows it all to happen. So there's. A, a software tool that collects people's questions, and then there's like a back end where the journalists are able to curate, you know, do some research on the questions, make sure there's a story there, et cetera, curate like three at a time, and then put those three up on the website to vote on. Um, so that's kind of the uh, overall like base of the project. But then we also really encourage our newsrooms to do this work in person as well. So get out, you know, beyond what their web audience is, find like community partnerships. They can collect com- questions in person, to people they might not already be reaching, find ways to do physical voting rounds. Not that many of our newsrooms do that, but that's like a, a real hope that I have, obviously, um, so that we can get beyond the typical 
public radio audience, which tends to be middle class and white, and also so that um, and we don't all only work with public radio, but that's our base. Um, but also because internet access is not a given for everyone, and the people who don't have internet access still have valid questions that should be responded to. So, so, so what are the? Because um, <clears throat> it sounds like ideal or like utopian in some ways. What are some of the struggles? Because I, I, I'm. I'm why I said that was so important, not because it's just really good way to do news, but as the the like push or call for participatory democracy across institutions, whether it's like budgeting, whether it's like within nonprofits, whether it's in the school system, mm-hmm. um, models that allow participation uh, are really important. So as you guys are like kind of taking that step, what are some of the, the struggles or, or, or difficulties in, in managing it? Well, there's a bunch, you know, I already kind of alluded to one, which is that um, if you're mostly just hearing from the people who are already in your audience, mm-hmm. and if you are a public radio station or kind of a, a standard local news newspaper that we might work with, your audience is probably predominantly white. So there's a representation problem off the bat. You know, if you're if you're proclaiming to serve the public, you know, mm-hmm. which public essentially. Um, so that's a struggle um, and, and something that, you know, I... I'm really hoping to address in my work. Um, another problem is just buy-in in the newsrooms. You know, some mm. someone might say, I think this is a good idea. I think we should try it. But then everybody else has to get on board and say, we're going to actually devote resources to this. And we're going to take these these story, these questions seriously as output for us. Like some of our newsrooms will say, okay, we're going to do one little series over here, kind of in the model of what we did at WBZ, which is like sort of a broad range of often kind of quirky questions. Like human interest type stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think there's real value in this. And we'll probably mm-hmm. get to that at some yeah. point of like what some people call fluff. I think there's like real value in, in telling stories about the place that you live that are um, – you know, wacky and interesting and sort of uncovering stuff that might not be necessarily considered um, hard news, but they'll sort of silo it. They'll say, over here, this is the curiosity beat, you know, and we're Mm going to do this because we know the public likes it, but the real news is happening over here. And what we're trying to say is like, no, your audience's curiosity is the real news and their information needs is the real news. So don't just like silo it over here in a corner. Like when you are doing politics, Ask for people's questions about politics. When you're reporting on healthcare, ask right. for people's questions about healthcare, you know? Right. So, like, really integrating it so that it's not just like the human interest thing over on the side, but it's a core part of what everybody does. Yeah, and it just takes more time and more work. So, I could imagine yeah. that's the resistance. I'm, I'm curious, since a huge part of what your job is, is being on the phone day in, day out with newsrooms and with, with representatives at a lot of these stations. How have those conversations or how has the thought about this changed since the election or since the inauguration? Like, what has the tone of the conversations shifted? Yeah, it has. You know, um, a lot of newsrooms, there's been this, like, movement, I would say, or I don't know if I would call it a movement, but like a big shift in people's minds since the election. A giant disruption. Oh, yeah. Huge disruption. But in terms of news, there's been a lot of people who said, like, we haven't been listening. You know, we missed this story. We didn't know how America <laughs> felt, you know, because everybody, you know, a lot of the mainstream newspapers pretty much thought it was a done deal, right, that Hillary was going to win. And they missed it. They missed the story. So they're like, we need to be listening better. There's definitely a problematic core in there, which is this idea that, you know, maybe we should be um, hearing more from white nationalists, you know, and it's like, maybe not, you know, maybe we <laughs> don't need to give them a platform. You know, how do we listen better and understand better what people's concerns are, you know, why they voted the way they voted, you know, what what is the tenor of our country without giving platforms to horrific ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, there has been this moment in news where people are like, okay, we got to listen. And also there is, and this I don't think was driven by newspapers or by news outlets. I think it was driven by just people. Um, all of a sudden there is a massive hunger for information about what's going on in government. Right. Like, mm. how are my representatives voting? You know, if I'm going to show up to the town hall, there's town halls happening today in Chicago right now. You can go Shut find your representative. Um, it's it's like re- recess week. So all the representatives are back in Chicago. You should go and see and yell at them if you can. Um, <clears throat> people want to know more about how their government works and what they can do, you know, to resist, essentially. And so newspapers and other newsrooms are responding. So a lot of the people that I work with, um, because my job basically is to help each newsroom that we work with 
do this kind of like audience centric model really well. Um, a lot of them are thinking, okay, now we're going to move away from this like siloed idea of this, this model is just for the human interest stuff. Mm. And now we're going to say, you know, what do you want to know about local government? And we're going to answer your questions about that. What do you want to know about how government works? What do you want to know? A lot of stuff about healthcare. Um, obviously that's a huge issue right now with the ACA. So, um, I think it's ex- it's exciting in this moment to see some really good newsrooms um, get that right. Realize that what what it means to like serve the public in the Trump era is to respond to their needs and their concerns in a really direct way, and find mm-hmm. out what is the most pressing thing they need to know this week, so that they can try and act right. um, and try and resist. Yeah. I mean, it goes something we've been talking about. And Damon, one of the things that I really value about like the conversations we have up here and off the air is you're so much better than me at the zoom out, like the, the all the way big picture. Um, and this seems like one more example of something that you've been saying, which is like, if you talk about disruption and you talk about like this being basically like this is a moment where a lot of folks who haven't questioned certain institutions are willing and forced to and have to question them because it feels like they're failing when meanwhile they've been failing a lot of folks for Mm. a long time. Um, And Ellen, I know you said that a little bit before, I I guess one professionally and also just personally as someone who like likes the radio and likes journalism and, and comes up kind of around that. How has it been for you starting to question that? Because it's been really hard for me to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking about this a lot. I mean, I, um, in my thanks, in my academic background, I did American studies at Tufts University. Gang, gang. Uh, <laughs> oh, you guys, you, the two of you. I know are it's just a lot. adorable. <laughs> um, and American studies. You should be like the godmother to his children. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting that. I'm putting your name in the, in the hat now. Oh, brother. There's not a lot. I haven't really added any other names to that. Well, hat. We, we, we gotta we gotta start the list somewhere. Wow. I got to get a hat. <laughs> oh, we have a hat. There is a hat present. We are not hatless. Oh, my <laughs> God. Radio. We, might, we might be hapless, but we're not hatless. Um, anyway, what I was going to say about that <laughs> is... Thank you for pulling um, it back on the rails. Yeah. It, uh, it really depends what school you go to, like what American Studies is about and how politically radical it is. Um, but at Tufts, it was one of the ways that you would study... Um, like critical race theory and gender theory was like via the American studies umbrella. So my whole training has been for a long time, basically to always be critical of the media, you know, and I have been conscious of a lot of failings um, in the quote unquote mainstream media for a long time, particularly around how it covers things like race and the inherent bias in, um, you know, reporting about Ferguson, all of those things that were happening while I was in college. And that's that w- was clear to me for a long time. I think it's becoming clear to a lot more people in the United States how much um, journalism is failing, you know, is is not providing the information that they need. You know, I work in public radio. I work adjacent to public radio. I work with journalists all the time. And I love many of them, right? But um, I think they're messing up all over the place, you know, like mm-hmm. NPR won't call what Trump says a lie. And they made a big statement about why they're not going to try and, you know, call things lies. And they're still going to lose all their funding. So right. Yeah. Say. You know, and there's so many I missed that. that like the debate about whether or not we're going to call the alt right, you know, the alt right, which is like very like light and fun sounding as opposed to like white nationalists, like all these things that matter day to day, these language choices, mm-hmm. which are normalizing really horrific threads in American society. Um, and we're watching that happen every day. And we talk a lot in in media criticism about how um, the center of like objectivity moves. You know, it's not like a, a set thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, three years ago, you would not see blatant anti-Semites talking openly about their anti-Semitism on TV news. And now you do. And that's because the center is moving because somebody decided, well, if we're going to be objective, we have to invite them on. Whereas three years ago, they would have said, oh, this isn't about objectivity. It's just that that's horrific and we can't have them on. You know, so this is like a, a 
total failing of our, or maybe not, maybe it's how the system is supposed to work. But what we're seeing is Ah. that, uh, (laughs) um, is that the journalistic system as a whole is not actually put in place to um, necessarily give us the information that we need to, at this point, resist this administration. Um, And so I think this comes back around what we were talking about before about how a lot of people have known for a long time that journalism isn't giving them what they need. And now there's more middle-class white people who who feel like I'm in a position where I need to be resisting this administration. And they're finding that the media is leaving them wanting Mm. to get that, the information that they need in order to do so. I'm going to, before we move on, I want to put it back on you for one second. I agree with everything you just said. I'm curious what your process has been like, like internally, personally, in wrestling with having this institution that you've either been within or adjacent to learning about uh, coming under your own critical eye in a different way. Are there pieces that like just internally has that been hard? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say that I got into... I got into journalism to make it better. Like that was always the goal. That's why I I was so excited about this job at Harkin is because it was literally that was the job description. That's important. Know? Let's let's like let's mm-hmm. like like highlight that because I think everybody should get into everything they do to make what they are about to be doing better. So if you're going to teach, if you're going to even like like yeah, just kudos to you and I just want to make a note of that. If you're going to make beats, make better beats. Make beats better than they've been. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's important. Um yeah, so that that was always the I appreciate that. I'm actually like beats? I'm blushing. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I wish I made beats. No. Do you rap? Um definitely not. Um Shout out to the non-rappers. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried to organize yeah, no. as, as somebody who's done some rapping. People who like explicitly don't rap. People who say I'm I'm not doing it. You're uh, you're you're in strong company right now. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate y'all. <laughs> um, yeah. So so that's always been my perspective. I think um, there still have been moments of shock. You know, I sometimes I forget. You know how bad it can be, and 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 how bad it has been. You know, you can go, you can go a year out from. Ferguson and not be thinking about the time they referred to Michael Brown as no angel in the New York Times, right? And how horrific that was that they would sort of take that stance in his obituary. And then you're just reading the New York Times and you're like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, I'm getting good information here. And then something else happens that is equally racist and horrific. And it's like, I cannot believe they they printed this, that this is like supposed to be, you know, set up by themselves, obviously, like the bastion of thought, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and news and truth. And they're printing something so clearly horrific to me. And that always is just like a, like this moment of horror and fury. And then just like, oh, yeah, that's how this works. Yeah, we want to believe in just in general around all these institutions uh, as someone who can identify with a whole bunch of like liberal white folk thought. You want to believe that these institutes, like you want to believe that you should be surprised each time. Yeah, and that's what excites me about this moment. And like to the point, Kiss, you make about our conversations is that although, it, you know, it could be poked at, it's really exciting for y'all to be like, oh, the New York Times is racist because like they've been racist the entire time. So, <laughs> yeah. so, the, so that realization or that, that ex- fury or excitement of like new consciousness is why I think this moment is like super important and probably would not have been addressed if Hillary Clinton was president, right? Like the New York yeah. Times would be able to deeper reinforce itself while now they are bit, like there's a pressure on them. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting. So this is, it's a little bit of a tangent, but my that mom should have been a question. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to give myself a demerit on that. <laughs> we don't keep track of demerits. Damon. <laughs> well, I you have know, one. Damon, I think when you're as, <laughs> Brilliant as you are, it's okay to sometimes just talk oh, and not ask. I'm oh, go ahead and it's say. not good interviewing. <laughs> We're breaking the interview model. It's a conversation here at Erica Radio. But to that point, you know, one of the things I've been talking about with my mom, who definitely falls Shout in Shout out camp. to mom. Yeah, no, she's the best. Uh, that's Talk about objective truth. That is an objective truth that my mom <laughs> is the best. Um, but she's maybe one of those she's been active in a lot of ways over the course of her life but definitely has been galvanized in this moment and she sent me this article about Václav Havel who is a uh, a writer in the former in former Yugoslavia 
Czech Republic. Czech Republic. Thank you. Mm. Um, thank. You. I'm glad you were here. Yeah. I knew I could look to you to fact check. <laughs> twin sister was able to. <laughs> they actually form- wearing the same outfit. Everybody <laughs> in the former Czech Republic, uh, incredibly important critical mind, and then who eventually became the political leader. Yeah. Um, one of the rare cases where like the writer and the critic actually ends up in the position of power. Um, and one of the thing that she was talking to me about, and and that she sent me this article about, was the idea of like. The way that you fight a moment like this and the way that you fight authoritarianism is you create a parallel politic. You create folks that are not just reacting, but who are building a parallel way of being in the world and a parallel way of taking care of each other and a parallel way of taking care of addressing people's needs, which rings true with a lot of what we've talked about up here and what we try to make in the world. Um and she, the article, she wasn't, but the article was pretty self-congratulatory being like, look at all these people who are doing that right now. And my response was like, let's hold off on the on the backpack for a minute, because yeah. if you told a lot of folks who are active right now, we're going to make things exactly the way they were five months ago. Are you still going to be calling your senator? Which is not a problem. It's still good. They're doing it. But it's like, is your goal to actually just restore the way things were? Or are you actively trying to push for a new vision of, of what it is? So I just think it's good to keep that in mind like what are you actually working to create um rather than just reacting um so taking that lens into your work um i don't know we can kind of do it like brainstorming session like what do you want this uh, to look like what are you I, and i also have a question of, of, yeah. of what i see might be like a, a, i imagine yeah. could be a difficulty and i kind of heard it in your side of like well maybe this how this is was well was how things were designed. Um, as someone who has studied America and Americans <laughs> and also the media, um, right? Like majority rule does not always produce good things. Like the American public, uh, as as an American, we are mm. so reactionary, right? So how do you then manage or is there any like, tension in trying to open up this conversation of the people or massive people, especially as you said, that is not representative of all people um, is in some ways reacting mm. to the way the media is framing the conversation anyway. Right. Like could the people or the consumers, if we want to call them that keep the same parameters of the same box, just redistribute that power of how it's framed. Is that something you're struggling with? Like, does it keep? Does you it mean keep like you with the, the model of the Harkin? Stuff? Yeah, right. Yeah, in Harkin, can they be asking the questions that are basically the product of the media cycle of the last generation and internalize it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think that's a that's a real problem. I think um, I think one of the things that's exciting about Harkin is that. Um, your audience, people, uh, Chicagoans walking around the streets every day, they don't necessarily think like journalisms and uh, journalists. So they don't necessarily think in terms of what is news. They just think about what's around me. And what they've been you know? thinking about. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes I think you can get outside of like, you know, are they just responding to how the media has framed the world? And instead, what we're seeing from a lot of people is, you know, I, this is just something that I noticed on my commute. Yeah. That seems off or mm-hmm. wrong, you know, things like that. So so it does bring in, I think, some outside ideas. But when you start, um, you know, at WBZ here in Chicago, the show that uh, my boss started, it's called Curious City. It still happens. And that one's really broad. It doesn't, like, put any parameters on what you can be asking about. It's just, like, what do you wonder about Chicago and the region? And people submit questions about, you know, as from things as light as like hot dogs to segregation to education, like really media education issues, like budget questions. Um, and that I think that broadness helps. But when you st- when you do something like say, you know, what what are you wondering about your local government or about government as a whole? Most of what the American people know about government does come from the media. You know, so those questions are a part of this reinforcing cycle, definitely. And that's um, a part of the problem. And that brings me to something that um, Daniel and I have been talking about, which is, um, I know this is like, might sound like a shooting myself in the foot thing to say because I work in the media, um, is that it's it's very clear, and obviously for many people it's been clear for a long time, that um, the media is not doing it. The media... I've let me roll this back. I've been thinking a lot about the difference between information and journalism, right? They're not the same mm. things. Um, I've been thinking a lot about information too. Yeah. 
So shout out to information. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to the info. Out there. So um, <laughs> um, go cop that info. Get the info. It's good info. Go ahead. No, it's <laughs> it's good. No, uh, <laughs> you you knew what you were signing up for. Um, information is uh, it's not. It's not the same thing as journalism, and you can get the information that you need outside of the the sort of structure of what we think of as journalism. Um, and and honestly, anybody can provide it, right? Anybody who has access to a certain kind of information can just disseminate it to their community. And I think we're in a moment where it's becoming exceedingly clear to a broader group of people that um, the news journalism is not giving us the information that we need. So we need to build something else. Like, what can we build? What can we be creating in our communities that's going to get us the information that we need? I'm seeing this a lot right now in the space of um, of sort of legislative politics and, and this idea that resistance means, like, calling your senators, things like that, which obviously is a very limited notion of what resistance is, and it's not particularly radical, but it is this really interesting moment where people are realizing what the hunger is, is to know uh, what's the issue? Like, what are my Congress people voting on this week? Um, what's the number to call? What should I say? You know, so a lot of things that aren't news outlets, that aren't newspapers are springing up to just provide provide people with that particular information. Here's what your congressperson is voting on. You know, here are the implications of that. Here's how you can act today. Mm. Um, and what's interesting is that you know, journalists hold themselves up and journalistic institutions hold, hold themselves up as the force that holds, like, powerful people's feet to the fire, right? You know, and it's like shining the light into the darkness. The Washington Post, I don't know if you guys saw this, just changed their slogan to democracy dies in darkness, which is... That is the new one or the old that's one? That's the new one. <laughs> what the fuck was the old slogan? <laughs> I don't even know. I actually, I genuinely don't know. <laughs> they really tried to, get to go, jump one, off the, the deep end. Yeah. The old one was Washington Post, now with more news. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're, they're positing themselves as like, Ooh. we're the ones who are going to save democracy, yeah. right? And like, But actually, in fact, news outlets are not set up to help people resist the power structures in their lives. They're mm-hmm. not, you know, it's more in news in most news outlets benefit to reinforce power structures, right? So if the goal here for anyone, you know, if whether they're new to organizing or they've, you know, been doing it their whole lives, um, is to get the information you need to resist, obviously news outlets aren't aren't the thing. Mm. You know, or they might be, but it's gotta come through a funnel. And that's something that I think is has always been the most I mean, one of the most exciting and inspiring things to me about um, DeRay and Netta's initial work in Ferguson was the We the Protesters newsletter that they did. Mm. Um, you know, I know they can be controversial figures, but this is... <laughs> yeah, uh, they're, they're, they're valid criticisms to be made, but the, they, but the, the added value, yeah. especially uh, up front yeah. of, of on-the-ground documentation yeah. was very, very important. And one of the things, so they did the on-the-ground documentation, but another thing that they did is they rounded up Here's all the coverage that's going on, you know, a, mm-hmm. about Ferguson. And here's they were like doing media literacy for their audience. They're like, mm-hmm. here's here's what you should watch out for. See how they've referred to protesters in this case in this right, way. Like right, they were right, training right. people to basically find the racism, find the bias, find how they were how news outlets were distorting the tr- distorting the truth. And that's a real valid service that I think we can all be doing for each other. And that you know most people are doing kind of every day. Most people who work in spaces of political activism, just like even on Twitter, you know, they'll be sort of, they'll share something and and point out, you know, where's the the problematic point or whatever. I think if we're going to hold on to, you know, news institutions, journalistic institutions as, as providing us some kernel of value, because sometimes these journalists have access that we don't have, you know, and we need the information they can give us it. We have to find a way to like filter it through, to ourselves and to our, our community so that it's clear we're getting what we need from it without the garbage, basically. Yeah. I don't know how <laughs> the easy answer to that is just screw them. We'll do our own thing. Right. Which is not an easy thing to do, but that is the easy the answer. Simple answer but then the I think answer. about, right, exactly. <laughs> but then I think about the fact that like, there are a lot of people like cable news is a big thing that a lot of people watch. Mm-hmm. And, 
we can it's like it's almost to do the parallel it's like the same way like there's a whole lot of like blog like rap music bloggers who like talk about how the radio is dead and they've been doing that for 10 years and the labels are still like no 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 when we put a song on the radio more people buy it right it's like when you say something on cable news still a lot of people believe it yeah um Including Lord our president, <laughs> yeah, right. Who is addicted to it? Mm-hmm. Who that is how he gets all of his information, um, and so like in thinking about where everywhere is a battleground right now, but in thinking about that as a powerful battleground, that I don't know how. I don't watch it. I know a lot of people do. I don't even really know how to factor it into these conversations because. It's it feels so far removed. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, let, let, let's let's remain faithful, right? You know, like hella people still have VHSs in their house, but they're like they're becoming more and more significant, insignificant, right? right. And so, more like and more significant. <laughs> so, like, right? It's it's about making the DVD is is all is always like kind of my metaphor. But I was really also struck, kind of the conversation we're having before air, but about you evoking Ferguson um, and how I, I view like Ferguson as the launch pad of like this mass social movement or social political space across the board uh and how it's so interesting how obviously trump and this like blatant public white supremacy is a reaction to like black liberation movements that propelled all social justice movements right uh but that also that critique of news started before this fake news, you know, talking point mm-hmm. of Trump and it actually started from the streets and from the ground and how we were talking about before the show, most Trump supporters are observing and articulating some of the same fundamental things just with these very reactionary responses. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, point. yeah, it's just really interesting to, to, to see how on both sides of the spectrum, there's this like pulling down of, of these massive institutions that are not working for almost anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. And so now you're at this point of of you know entering media and you're in Chicago of like creating tools for people to take in information to be better equipped to resist is is what I just heard or how I interpret it. That's like the end point of the segment. Let's go to like the first point of the segment. Let's go back to home. Okay. And and, 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 and where did this start? What is what was where was home? What was home like? Who was in home? And how did that? What were some of the steps of like getting to this new point? Wow. Yeah, I did it. I did it. You see that? I, I, I recapped what you said, added some analysis Dang. through the question. You were listening. Man, Ergo Radio, it's happening. Full <laughs> <laughs> <In full> effect. <laughs> so um, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Shout out. Uh, so that's the physical <laughs> geographic home. Um, and... I don't know the 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 question of like how did I get here is is wacky I think because I mean when I was a little kid I wanted to be a rockette you know so those are the people that like <laughs> do the kicks on stage yeah. like that was the goal you know and- oddly enough so did Daniel Kissling <laughs> 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 the story just continues to intersect. <laughs> Um, Fun fact: I actually know the guy who plays Santa in the do. Radio City Christmas Spectacular. <laughs> His son. Uh, was the center on our middle school basketball team. Oh, my God. <laughs> Shout out to Blake Hall. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, but I... So if you're still looking, I've, I got a plug. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'm not tall enough. I need another half inch to be a rocket. Uh, and I also needed to not have quit ballet a decade ago. It's <laughs> inexperience and height. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It really is. Um, <laughs> inexperience. Discrimination against inexperience has to stop. But I, I brought that up not just like as a fun fact, but because my my entry into journalism really was the arts. I I got um, I, I've always been a singer and a dancer for a lot of my life. And um, in college, I started getting really um, interested in arts journalism. I was on the radio station at my college at Tufts University, and I did some music writing. And I ended up in my American Studies program focusing on music. Essentially, what I was doing was social musicology, um, which is uh, a fancy way of saying like sociopolitical analysis of popular music. Um, Popular used widely to mean liked by a lot of people, Mm -hmm. not necessarily like pop. Um, and We've already been down that road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, rewind to about minute eight if you want to hear the takedown of that. Um, and I had a really w- incredible, radical professor. Um, I got very lucky. You know, there's always the like three, you know, mm, at like a. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like I said, my, my 
study in that realm. And, and I, I'm, I think part of it did start earlier um, in like in high school, this kind of critical thinking. But really, my study in that realm just led me to like consistently having this constant um, critique of like the discourse. I did air quotes for the folks at home here because I find that's like a thing that that I think in academic circles you find yourself doing a lot is being, well, let's like unpack the discourse here, you know, but it's important because um, how we talk about music genres, for example, defines how we understand a lot of things because a lot of people consume music and a lot of people like, you know, understand the world to be divided by radio formats, you know, and that um, that plays out across a lot of social spheres. And so that's kind of like, that's home for me, I feel like a lot in terms of like, where my work started, I, I wrote my thesis on Jay-Z, and how people use his, his like, uh, rags to riches narrative to like reinforce neoliberalism and the American dream. Um, so that's kind of like the the framework. Did you see that documentary on him, like uh, a genius leaves home or something? No. Uh-oh. It basically like, it was pretty cool. And it was like a, a praise, but it basically like tracked a lot of the people who he had discarded throughout his mm. life uh, and ended with his play in the Nets coming to Brooklyn and how he actually was like the face of gentrification yeah. for like a percentage of a percent uh, yeah. of ownership. Yeah. As a Brooklynite. Yeah, that's that. That was the reason I got interested um, in in this in that as like a a study was because I think it's on Netflix. All right, on Netflix, check that out. Ellen actually made that movie. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, you were the you were the EP. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anyway, all this to say, that's kind of that's like home for me. I think in terms of like theory and understanding the world, and then I graduated and came out into the world and thought I might want to be a music journalist. but a lot of that work felt very empty. Like over time, the more I was just like following music blogs, and like following the hype and all this stuff, I just sort of like, there are people out there doing really great critical work. You guys talked to Leor sure. Galil recently. Is mm-hmm. that how you say his name? Leor Galil and yeah. Hanif Willis or Durkee, for right. examples of people doing really good music journalism. Go read their work. Right. MTV and the Chicago Reader. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I don't want to downplay that. And I, I definitely don't want to say that it's not important to analyze and pick apart popular culture because it really is. Um, but I found myself like with this framework that I had wanting to move more into just like journalism writ large as opposed to like music criticism and um, very much by accident got the internship that started me at WBZ. And um, just sort of realized that this model they were doing, you know, of flipping the who has authority in the journalistic process really spoke to this framework that I had had all along of wanting to like constantly be critical of the institutions mm-hmm. who are driving discourse and driving our understanding of the world. And so I just kind of got sucked in because of that, because I like literally just like the job description, like ring little American studies bells. I was like, oh, <laughs> this is for me. Yeah. And um, I just haven't been able to get out since. I think, you know, um, information is a lifeline. You know, it's so important for our daily lives. It's so important for survival. Um, and, you know, somebody's got to be the watchdog to make sure that the information that's getting out, it's like making sure your drinking water isn't polluted. You know, mm-hmm. making sure that the information that people are getting is... It's not polluted, yeah. basically. So this is a, that brings me to a new segment that I want to start. I haven't even told you about this. Oh, um, but I told you about it. I want to see it should be okay. Uh, it's called Show and Tell. And we t- keep talking about different ways people can get involved every week. Um, but I think... That's a good title to start with. I'm, I'm intrigued. Oh, you, you're, yeah. the ears perked up there? Right, let's see where you this got, goes. You got off your laptop. You've been sending emails this whole time. <laughs> never. Uh, never. <laughs> um, but the idea behind show and tell is we keep talking about get involved. Here are some ways up top. But I think we have in our own ways, you know, a pretty... We have some limited entry points. So I want to have the guest kind of share as small or as big as it is a couple of the ways that like you are getting engaged in uh, trying to resist and trying to reshape the world. So what are you what are you doing, let's say, like this week? This week? Oh. Or you can expand it for okay. <laughs> um, Daniel, me. Okay. <laughs> Daniel gave me this uh, this prompt before we started, but I, I was not thinking in terms of this week. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to skip that part. <laughs> but um, So I think a lot about the fact that, I, uh, first of all, about the fact that you know, 
any form of resistance is going to be more popular, powerful if you're doing it in a community. Um, so I've just been trying to figure out in pretty much all aspects of my life, how do I bring my community with me wherever I'm going, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and and sort of politicize spaces around me that haven't always been political or haven't always be, been oriented around resistance. Um, so one of the ways that I do that, I've got two, two like show and tell things to share. One of the ways that I do that is um, something that I sort of goofily titled old crank phone bank, which is um, <laughs> spending like a half hour a week in the office. I'm lucky in that I work with people who um, have the same politics as me more or less and are equally as interested in resisting Trump and this administration. And so we just like take a half hour out of our week to um, like educate each other on an issue that is like, you know, popping up this week and, and like making a phone call or writing a letter, whatever it is, you know, so it's just like making that space a little bit more political, you know, during the work week, getting more people educated and also just like building in this idea that we're here to educate each other and like Mm -hmm. help each other filter information and figure out how, what's the best and most productive way for us to resist. And um, I did something similar that Daniel was a part of um, before the election, both before the primaries and before um, the main election um, where I gathered together a, a group of friends to sit down and just like help each other figure out all of the candidates that are down ballot, you know, those local candidates that, you know, actually really do matter. And referendums. Those, those yeah. judges. Yeah, all those judges. There are a couple of judges we had to get out of there this year. Um, obviously, Anita Alvarez back in the primaries, so that was a huge movement um, that was incredibly incredible and successful. Bye, and Anita. Awe-inspiring, yeah. Bye, Anita. Um, so just like getting together with friends and just getting pizza and being like, okay, we're going to just talk through each of these candidates. None of us is an expert. But by doing this together, we are helping each other educate ourselves. And um, I think that's a really powerful thing to do is I I think especially like I don't want to get too alarmist, but, you know, people are drawing a lot of connections between the United States and Russia right now and, and how quick and easy it was for Putin to do things like completely cut off the free press and, and, you know, basically take it over. I think you have to be starting now or yesterday or when you were born, finding ways to um, inform each other, you know, in your communities and, and sort of prepare for the inevitability that your, your information is going to be polluted, you Mm -hmm. know? And so like building like moments in your community and, and just like, Things that are genuinely fun, you know, yeah. and, and really supportive and make you feel good, but also that are going to help you get the information that you need. I think that that is um, a really powerful thing that you can start doing, you know, this weekend. R- real That's quick. Great. We're b- about to run out before of time. Before we wrap up. I have another thing too. Yeah. Uh, very important question we usually start off with. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. enjoying to end with it lately. Um, how has the world been treating you and how have you been treating the world? Wow, I can't believe I missed that. I can't believe I missed that. Yeah, yeah we, that's we my start, favorite part we of started, the show. We started off very silly. Um, so, so it's cool to kind of recap. We kind of work our way into it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the world seems pretty ugly these days. You know, it's been it's been ugly. I'm feeling very conscious of that recently. There's a lot of bad news yesterday. I'm feeling really um, sad about Standing Rock. And the fact that the camps yeah. had to evacuate, you know, so um, that's on like a a, a broader level. Um, but I'm feeling really, uh, you know, sustained still by people like Daniel and Damon, the people around me in Chicago who <laughs> do such incredible work. And I'm lucky to, you know, be a part of their lives in, in either big or small ways. Um, and I think that's really important to acknowledge that that's how you get by. You know, so that's how the world's treating me. How am I treating the world? We're running out of time. I don't know. Um, You know, I just am thinking a lot about um, the best ways to just like walk through Chicago uh, and like expressing this is like, I know corny, but I don't care. Just like loving, Mm -hmm. you know, the people around me and finding ways that I could be doing something muscular and active with my love. Mm. And trying to like expand that every day because that's the only way any of this gets better. 
Word. You're the best, first and foremost. Where um, can the people find you? Yeah, where can they find your work? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Ellen Rebecca M. Uh, that's probably the best place to find me. I'm also on Medium at the same handle, and I write a lot about news there. So if you're interested, that's a spot to be. And last thing before we get out of here, uh, any like very quick particular thing about off mic me that you want to make sure people know? Uh-oh. Um, a quirk. you out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Daniel, uh, I'm borrowing your car. All the time. Yeah, Daniel borrows my car all the time, and he also uh, used to learn and practice uh, Gene Kelly tap dance routines <laughs> yeah. on the marble floor of his lobby when he was a little kid. Yeah. Folks, we'll be back next week with another strong young voice from Chicago and beyond. Much love to the people. Peace. <laughs>